You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, podcast. If you can hear the despair in my voice, it's because there's been a little bit of a scheduling conflict today, and I have all these things that I have to do for work and I have to also get them done while I am watching a three-year-old and I don't know if you can hear in the background but it sounds like if it sounds like a three-year-old playing a Nintendo and eating Pringles that is exactly what it is so you're just going to have to deal with background noise uh, in this intro but I'm going to keep it quick okay we're going to have an, we, we're having another BS session here with Justin Czar and we talk about everything from how expensive children activities are <laughs> to western hunts to whitetail strategy to crop rotation and a whole bunch of other stuff if uh, you've heard one of our BS sessions before they can go anywhere and this one definitely does so uh, that's that's who the guest is on today's episode before we get into today's episode though we do have to do a commercial vortexoptics.com is a website you you know what I'm about to say badass optics company right and for some reason I'm really thinking about uh yeah, buddy, I am. I'm in the middle of something right now. Okay, I am. Uh, I'm thinking about spotting scopes, and I have a, a couple spotting scopes right now that I use a lot when I go out west. And it's the Viper HD and the Diamondback HD. So those are the two that are on my uh, list right now that I, I pack out with me, and they do a real good job. Crystal clear, excellent. Excellent in low light conditions, along with all of Vortex Optics um, 
uh, products, right? They're rifle scopes, red dots, binoculars, spotting scopes, range finders, all of that stuff. And it's all under their VIP warranty, which means that if you damage it, you break it, you send it in, they fix it for free. Uh, not a lot of people do that. So uh, that is one that is one of the uh, commercials. Now the other one is Wasp Broadheads, right? Wasp Broadheads is a combination of awesome design, right? It is a combination of that design along with the top materials that you can use to make a broadhead. And you hear me talk about it all the time is great people work for the company. They design awesome podcast or uh, awesome uh, broadheads. I'm a huge fan of the Boss 4-Blade and the, uh, what's the other one? The Jackhammer. I've killed a lot of animals with those two heads. So uh, please go to wasparchery.com. Check out their lineup. If you're a fan of fixed blades, they got something for you. If if you're a fan of mechanicals, they have a, uh, you know, they have heads for you too. And I got a discount code here for you. And that is... Now my three-year-old is moving lumber for some reason. I know I have a discount code somewhere for you. Oh, right here. It is Wasp Archery 9 Fingers. That's the number 9 followed by the word Fingers 2020. And that gets you 20% off of your purchase. All right. So there's the commercials. Let's get into today's episode. It's a BS session with Justin Czar. Three, two, one, the guy who needs no introduction, Mr. Gravel Voice himself, Justin Czar. How the hell are you? I never knew I had a gravel voice. Is that a, that real? It's a, you have a rough voice, dude. Maybe I have the Rona. No, it's not. Well, then you've had Rona ever since I've met you. It's from yelling at my kids too much. (laughs) (laughs) My throat is. My throat is blown out. Oh I'm good, God. Dan, the man, Johnson. How are you, buddy? I'm t- doing the same shit. You are just yelling at my kids. I feel that's all I do Living some days. Iowa dream. Yeah. You know what? My wife yells at my kids way more than I do. Oh, that makes so me feel good. So I feel like I, I'm like the good cop. She's like the bad cop. Yeah. You know, I think we did. We all have the like when we were growing up, like we had the parent that was like the super hard ass. In my case, it was my dad. Yeah. And then my mom was like the easy one. I think it's totally flip-flopped in my case. Like my kids come to me and they're like, dad, can we have Dairy Queen? And I'm like, you know what, kids? It's nine o'clock at night. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Pile in the car. Let's go to Dairy Queen. You know, <laughs> My kids go to my wife. And they're like, mom, can we have one Oreo? And she's like, no, you cannot get to bed. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, I can kind of sympathize with your wife because she's a stay-at-home kid raiser, right? She, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no question about it. Being with them all the time oh my God. affects your, your tolerance for, for kid bullshit, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Growing up, my, my mom was the enforcer. My dad, like, it was kind of the opposite. It was like, hey, you better go do this before your mom gets home or she's going to, you know, she's going to whip you. But then, but then when my parents got divorced, 
my dad fell under the, yeah, I don't care what you do category. Like, he's just like, yeah, you want to do that? That's cool. You can do that. Like my mom on the other hand was, where are you going? What are you doing? What have you had to eat today? Like, just like uh, all that stuff. And my dad was just like, Hey, you hungry? Let's get something to eat. (laughs) That's, that's, that's how I was raised, man. So I, I be like, if, if I did anything to get in trouble, and my mom found out about it, like, I got scared. But if my dad found out about it, I was just like, Whew, only dad knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, Raising kids is a hell of a thing, I'll mm-hmm. say that much. Did I Last ever... year was kind of nice when, yeah. like, uh, the, all the COVID lockdowns started happening because everything got canceled, and it was yeah. awesome because there was never anything to do on the weekend. So if I was like, Hey, honey, I want to go fishing or I want to go turkey hunting or I want to go work on food plots or do tree stands. It was like, okay, well, we have nothing else in the world to do. So, like, have fun. And now everything's back with like a severe vengeance. Everybody's trying to make up for lost time. Yeah. So now it's literally every single night. And I'm at that point where like two of my kids are old enough to both be doing like sports and extracurricular things. So some nights I go one direction with one part of the children and my wife goes another direction with another part of the kids. And we're having to like some nights like enlist family members or friends or other parents from the teams to get the kids around because I'm still at work. And it's just a goddamn nightmare. Yeah. And I'm like, this is just beginning. I literally have like a decade of this ahead of me. This is just the beginning. Yeah. I uh, Tonight is T-ball for my boy. And dance for my girl. And I don't know. Have you been wrangled into coaching uh, for your kids yet? Uh, I spent about a year being an assistant coach for my kids' baseball team. And I was like, you know what? Uh, This isn't for me. I I am content to be the dad on the sidelines just watching, I think. Although I may, I may kind of get semi forced into doing it for my youngest because he'll be playing t-ball next year. I know they're a bit short in the coach department, and they've already asked me a couple times. So yeah, we'll see how much longer I can hold out. Yeah, my wife uh, signs them up for it, and then also volunteers me for it. So she's like, "Okay, Mac uh, is has t-ball." And T-ball starts on this day at six o'clock and you're the coach. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> God, like next time, ask me, please. So whatever. Is I what tell it you is. what, there's a lot of drama in kids baseball. I can't even, believe I can't it. believe it. The amount of, the amount of drama that happens between coaches and parents and leagues. And dude, my kid is eight, almost nine. Yeah. He's on a travel team now. And it is, ridiculous i'm sitting over here going like don't any of you people have anything better to do in life i think that's the problem i have a million other things to do in life that that really require me to like uh, think about it and worry about it and plan yeah these people have nothing else to do other than think about kids nine u travel baseball and it is out of control yeah there's some towns around where i live that are hardcore like they are you know, if your kid isn't in a traveling team by 10 years old, he'll, he will never play baseball in his entire life. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy how they, how they do that. My daughter, she is in dance right now. She's in one 
She's in one hour once a week, and she has two dances coming up. Two total dances for the upcoming uh, recital. And now she's asking questions about, uh, hey, I want to get on this quote-unquote all-star thing. I want to be a part of the all-stars. Well, all-stars means you have to be in three or four different uh, hours throughout a week. And you have to travel. And you have to buy all these different outfits. And I don't know if you've been, exp- your daughter is the youngest of all your kids, right? Or is she the no, middle? She's she's my middle one. Middle yeah. one. Okay. Well, if she's not in, is she in dance? Uh, she is in gymnastics. Gymnastics. Okay. That's probably. She was in dance and now she switched over to gymnastics. Okay, cool. We, we, we flip-flopped. And that was probably the best possible thing that you could have done because dance uh, for us if we allow her, we're still talking about it, but if we allow her to do this, it's going to cost a shit ton of money. And I'm cheap dad. I don't want to do it, but if it's something that she really likes, like I'm just trying to get her into sports so that, because sports are cheap, man, the the city or the school usually provides all the gear that a, a person needs, unless you're on some traveling, you know, on, on some AAU sure. traveling team. But God dang, things are more expensive, man. I was just—I just remember here, kid. Put this mouthpiece in and go kick this ball. That's how I was raised in um, like municipal sports. Sure. So. Not like that anymore, Dan. Nope. Not nope. Like that anymore. It's it's You're the rating have system. Dance moms. Soon. Isn't that a show? Dance. Dance moms. moms. I don't think I've ever. I've never seen it, but I think I've heard of it. It's called. I think it's a thing. It's called Dance Dads, actually. And yes, I will be oh, on that show. Good. It's going to be the new season. Right, right. Well, what are you doing this fall? Like, I am going to go hunting. I know, as but. As much as humanly possible. I, dude, it is the middle of May. Yeah, May's right almost now. over. I I literally have, I think, like 90 days or less until I go to Wyoming antelope hunt. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. That's nuts. That's crazy. So I go to, uh, we're going for the opener for Antelope in Wyoming, which is the 15th of August, which is super early. Yeah. 88 days, according to Google. I just, I just Googled it up. So I have 88 days until I'm in Wyoming, hopefully hunting or shooting antelopes. And then, uh, let's see, we come back from that. I don't think I'm going to have time to do any early season whitetail stuff. Maybe a weekend in Wisconsin. Maybe not. We'll see. And then I go to Colorado. Colorado for elk at the end of September. Yeah. And then I come home and it's and it's deer season. And then it's pretty much just Illinois whitetails from there on out. Yeah. So the antelope is you're heading out with uh Dustin or again, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. the elk hunt is the one that got canceled last year because of COVID. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We got halfway to Colorado and it got canceled. Yeah. Because of COVID. So uh so yeah, that got rescheduled for this year. It's like the 24th through the 28th, something like that we go. So, so it's a little bit later in September, but I'm being told that's a good time to be there. So I'm taking everyone's word for it, and we're going to show up and uh, hike around and hopefully shoot shoot an elk. So yeah. I'm, I'm pretty stoked for that. That's it's probably the one trip that I'm like more uh, mentally and physically and gear wise, like trying to get ready for. Yeah. You know, the antelope, the antelope one's pretty easy. I'm not going to lie. 
I mean, especially if you do a, a ground blind like on a water hole, it's it's not a it's not a very physically demanding <laughs> hunt. Yeah. You know, so that one, uh, you know, pretty pretty easy. The elk hunt obviously a little bit more difficult. So I've been, you know, still still hitting the gym and doing my little hit workouts, and I'm about to start building a new bow getting all my my setup ready to go for this fall so it's going to be go time before you know it yeah yeah i'm blinking and i just feel like i'm starting to get behind already and i i know that you like your job requires you to do a lot not only with the your quote-unquote real job and then the bowhunting.com side of things right i just feel like sure. i am behind on every hunting season and then something has to suffer and it's me that has to suffer right like my my content or whatever always has to suffer or I'm, I'm gonna miss days of hunting and right now like for me my priorities have always been hunting but now my business is getting big enough to where it's like jesus man i, I need to either hire somebody or i need to right. uh, or just like take a day or two and get a babysitter like i don't i don't even know i'm just like there are some days i feel like i'm in a dust cloud <laughs> welcome to being a business owner right mm -hmm. you wanted this damn yeah right here i am bitching about it so uh yeah. let's what was i gonna say uh okay antelope is that a is that a draw tag or do you have to apply for it uh it, it is but i believe it's pretty much a given yeah that you're going to get one in most areas in Wyoming for, for antelope. Yeah. Um, I don't think I had any preference points and, and we got tagged. So we're good. I did buy a deer tag or a deer preference point for Wyoming. Yep. So I'll probably need one or two of those to get a, a deer tag here in the next year or two. And then I, I bought, I think I've got, I don't even know, 12 maybe preference points for elk now in Wyoming. Oh, wow. So I think, Next year, I'm going to try to do a mule deer hunt and then maybe an elk the year after, something like that. I don't know. I haven't quite quite figured it out, but I have to start really kind of thinking about that because, I mean, if I'm going to go, probably is trying to go with Dustin anymore. He's so booked, yeah. you know, because he's he's Levi Morgan's, like, personal bro guide. <laughs> so, so everybody wants to go hunt with Dustin now. So my little secret, you know, my little place I get to go all the time, Dustin's like, dude, I don't have any hunts. You better you know, get your, get your spot booked now because, you know, Levi's going to yeah. book everything and everyone's going to want to go there. So yeah, yeah, I need to start figuring out 2022, I guess already. So I think we're going to try to do a mule deer hunt again. I'd like to shoot another one of those. So yeah. We'll see. Yeah. It's the same with me, man. I, I, I applied for Wyoming this year and May 20th is when I find out if I go or not. So yeah. Six points going That's tomorrow, in. right? Is it? It's tomorrow, May twentieth. Did you say yeah, May twentieth? May twentieth. Yeah, tomorrow, dude. Shit, yes. I'm gonna yeah. find out if I go to Wyoming tomorrow. Boom, boom, boom. And if Hell I don't, yeah. then I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna hide in your suitcase and I'll go to Colorado with you guys. You just hitchhike in the back of Todd's RV. We're gonna drive out. Hey, you guys drive we'll right. Stop somewhere in Iowa. Yeah, I'm like uh, 10, 15 miles from the interstate uh, eighty that you guys there drive you through. I'll tell Todd that we just need to pull over and get gas. Yeah. And, and then I I'll just in. leave the back door open. You hop in. Hop right in. Yep. There we go. Or just drop me off somewhere. Is it just you two guys? Uh, our buddy Josh is flying in from wherever the hell he lives at, Tennessee. Yep. And we'll probably bring somebody with the film. 
most uh, likely. There you, you go. Know, one one person. There you go. That's that's the plan. All right. So like okay, when you started applying for, well, like why haven't you used those elk t- elk points yet? Twelve years it seems to be like a very long time, and I f- I feel like you're only two years out from getting into the best possible unit, like 14 preference points might be pretty close to, I think 20 might be max. Anywhere you want to go. Yeah. Like you can go anywhere you want to go. Well, there's, there's been some point creep the last couple of years where they're really getting driven up. So, so I started applying, uh, dude, years ago, Dustin just told me like before he even owned his business, he was like, start applying for points. We'll go out coming someday. So I started, and then, you know, he, he, you know, bought his outfitting business. I went out there, I think it was maybe like the second or third year he had it. I think it was my first trip out there. And I went on a mule deer hunt and I shot my mule deer, I think on the fourth day, if I recall, like the fourth morning. And then he had some elk hunters that were coming in and I was there for like another day or two before I went home. He had elk hunters that were coming in that were going to their camp, which was up in the mountains. And he was like, hey, you want to help me? You know, we're going to hook up the truck and trailer and we're going to bring a bunch of supplies and shit up to up to camp. And I was like, yeah, like, oh, that'd be cool. I've never been up there. So we went up there and I was like, shit, yeah, man. Like, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I want to do. It's like up on the mountain. They're staying in wall tents and going out hunting every day. Like, like this is the elk hunt that I want to do. And in that particular zone that they're in, it just takes an unreal amount of preference points, partially because it's it's all public ground uh up there and only dustin and one other outfitter have the i guess i don't know if it's if you call it a lease right or whatever to outfit in this wilderness area so like in the wilderness area you can't go i think it's above a certain elevation or something like that without being with an outfitter or with a guide yeah so even though it's public land like you have to be with an outfitter to go hunt this area and like i said it's him and and one other outfitter have the kind of exclusive, I guess, rights to this, to this area. Yeah. And I just had my heart set on doing that. And he's got some other elk hunts that I could have drawn with, you know, like five, six, seven, eight points, you know, but they're, they're the lower elevation, you know, the scenery, it's just not that classic pine forest, dark timber mountain kind of hunt that I just, in my mind, that's what I want. Right. You know, and he was like, dude, got, and they have great elk on these other hunts, but I was like, ah, if I'm if like, this is my one time, this is what my heart is set on doing. Yeah. You know, so, so, so that's it. That's why I'm, I'm holding out. Do you see yourself like jumping more on the, the mule deer and elk train in the upcoming years or just kind of whenever, you know, just not really, not really. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I like doing it. Don't get me wrong. I I do. Um, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll feel different after I go on my elk hunt this fall. I know a lot of guys say like, once you, once you do it and you get close and see and hear elk and it's like, you feel that excitement, like you'll never want to not do it. Yeah. You know, my only, my only experience elk hunting was a decade ago and we didn't see a goddamn elk <laughs> the whole week, you know? So yeah. it was more like a hiking trip disguised as an elk hunt, Yeah, you know? So, and after that, I was like, F this, like, yeah. I don't need to come back anytime soon. I love Colorado. It's beautiful. We had a great time. We had a lot of laughs and a lot of fun, 
but you know, I just, you know, I was like, I just don't know that I want to spend what little bit of vacation time I get to, to go, you know, drive out there and, yeah. and do that, you know? So yeah, I don't know, man. We'll see. August is, uh, antelope. September is, uh, elk. October, yep. um, is, is then Here. just, just whitetails in Illinois. I mean, are you going to try to get to Kentucky again? If I managed to somehow get lucky and kill two bucks in Illinois again, I, I would consider it, but yeah. I'm not planning on it right now. No, you know, I had thought about trying to do it in early September cause the season opens pretty early this year, but I mean, by the time I get back from antelope hunting, then we go right into Labor Day weekend, which I usually take a day or two off with the family to go up to Michigan and, and kind of hang out for Labor Day. And then we come home and I've only got a couple of weeks before I go to Colorado. And I really try not to burn my wife out before October comes. Yeah. Right. That's like, a, like that's the last thing I want to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, if I do something in September, it'll probably be Wisconsin. Tags are over the counter. They're pretty cheap. I'm, you know, I can be up there and hunting in less than an hour from my door, yeah. from, from my house. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's not terribly, terribly bad. So if I do something in September, it'll be Wisconsin for gotcha. sure. And otherwise it's just going to be Illinois back home. You know, my, my oldest son is hunting now, right? He shot his first deer last year. So he's all jacked up. So, you know, it kind of, it is nice because it kind of helps break up my season a little bit because I spend the, the, you know, a good portion of the first part of October just trying to get him on a deer, you know, which was kind of nice you know, not really worrying about what I was doing and where I was going to go and how I was going to get a deer and, you know, kind of staying out of some of my better spots just because he's still, he's still young enough. Like we can't really do a tree stand yet. You know, all we can really do are, are, um, ground blinds with the crossbow. So it's kind of nice, you know, it keeps me out of some of my areas, lets them kind of just rest for yeah. a while and, and it's fun right hanging out with your kid and going yeah. hunting I mean, it's just it's fun the weather's real nice you know there's not a ton of pressure so yeah I'm, I'm excited to to do that again and then once you know late october comes uh it'll be game on you know chasing the big boys yeah all right this is kind of a a pivot here but like being becoming a landowner do you ever see yourself owning land no no i don't no no why is that no it's too it's because it's too goddamn expensive yeah <laughs> yeah i mean dude oh, are you kidding me my wife doesn't work i got three kids how much money do you think i'd make <laughs> I, ain't, I, ain't, I ain't i ain't affording property anytime soon so it's completely not even on my radar yeah man it's something that I, maybe I, if i win the lottery someday i just I, there's i know everybody talks like a lot of guys talk about it a lot of guys want to do it it's like their thing and i think when i was younger maybe it was on like the outside of my radar and my scope um but for some reason like as i get older like less and less of me cares about owning my own piece of property i don't even i just it's just not a thing yeah there is 15 acres that i've found it's not for sale but the landowner i don't know i know him and He's not like, he doesn't do anything with it. It just sits there. Guys, like, honestly, people don't even hunt it except me. It's just a sliver, basically. But it's in a really, you know, it's it's the right sliver, uh, so to speak. So sure. it's like, I'm trying to figure out, 
how to approach this and afford this. And like, I really, really want to buy this 15 acres. Now there's not much I could ever do with it. I can't plow anything. It's, it's all timber. It's all junk ground. Um, so, but, but the deer moved through it really heavy during the, uh, during the, you know, late October all the way through pretty much the first shotgun season. So it's like, I really want this piece of property and I'm trying to figure out how to approach it, how to afford it and all these things. But the older I get, like, I just want, like in the past, there's this huge anticipation for the the hunting season here in Iowa, right? There's big deer running around on, on this area and I shoot a deer and then I'm done. Like I want to be a landowner so I can get a landowner's tag and extend my archery season. Mm. You know what I mean? And not have that to make sense and not sure. have to do it late season in the, you know, freezing cold. I still want to enjoy the rut and, and all this other stuff and, and maybe even practice a little, some kind of management on that small, you know, that small piece. And when I mean management, I mean like not being able to control deer on 15 acres, but do some hinge cutting and, you know, get rid of some invasive species, try to create a bedding area or uh, a, a bigger pinch point or something, you know what I mean? And so for, sure. for, for me, it's just something I'm thinking a lot more and more and more about every single year. And uh, it's another thing like prices for land are, they're kind of going up and up and up and i feel like if i buy now I they can... don't they don't ever go down buddy. no <laughs> so i feel like if i go ahead and i um say tell, you know tell my wife hey you know this is actually kind of like a savings bond right i mean or or this is a an investment sure. where i can i'm gonna buy this i'm gonna pay it and then you know can make these payments on it and then after that we do what we do and we just ride it out with the family and it's just something that we can fall back on if we need it. And, you know, I don't know, sell it or, or upgrade to a bigger piece of property yeah. someday. So I don't know. Yeah, That's just sure. what's I, going on in know, my I, head. Dude, I think it's a great, I mean, I know a lot of people that have purchased farms, you know, you know, Clinton Fawcett on my team, he just bought a farm up the, off the road from him here recently, you know, Graf just bought a new farm. My buddy Matt's looking, you know, to buy a place probably in the next year, I would say year and a half. So, I mean, I know plenty of people that do it. I mean, that's, that's their thing. And from an investment perspective, as long as it's the right piece of ground that you could resell at some point in time, it's certainly not bad. It beats having all your money in crypto right now, (laughs) (laughs) since it all just ate shit today. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible idea. Like I said, for me personally, it's just not one of those things that's really on my radar. Yeah. I guess maybe it, it might be at some point in my life, but I think for right now, like, yeah, it's just it's just not on the radar. I want a bigger boat. Man. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> have, have you have you been, like, have you transitioned a little bit to fishing? Um, I mean, this time of year, for sure. I've, I was going to actually say, like, I have literally done nothing deer hunting wise at all this year. I mean, literally nothing. I think I went out and looked for sheds one time and pulled some cameras down and moved them around. And then like turkey season came, I spent a couple weekends, uh, youth turkey season with my son and we weren't able to get one. And then I, uh, was fortunate enough to shoot a, a bird like opening morning of my season. 
and I had planned on like uh, going to my lease that weekend when I was out there turkey hunting and like doing a bunch of work and everything. And I shot this bird and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going home. <laughs> so I just literally just went home. I was like, I'll do the deer hunting stuff later. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here we are the middle of May already. It's going to be 90 degrees this weekend. So I don't think I'll be doing any deer hunting anything this weekend. So I'm sure I'll get around to it at, at some point in time. But, you know, I've never been uh, – I don't do a ton of food plots. I do a couple little, you know, dinky food plots with my ATV, you know, before fall. And that's about it, you know, for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, so I don't know. I'm kind of just like a fly by the seat of my pants. When fall comes, I'll go run around the woods and figure out where the deer are at and try to kill one. Yeah. Do you, I mean, it sounds like you've been on the properties that you, that you hunt, you've been on them for several years. So you kind of know where the, you know, the pinch points are, you kind of know where the deer movement is, you know, it's not like, are you still going out preseason at all and doing any type of scouting or looking for something new that might help you get a, a one up on the, the deer that are running on your property? If I was smart, I would be, yeah. but I'm not smart, so I'm not, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you tell you this much. Like, you, you're correct. I the, the two properties that I deer hunt, um, I've been deer hunting for, I don't know, more than a decade now, both of them. So I know the properties very, very well. I know where everything is. I know what the general travel patterns and pinch points and everything are going to be. But I mean, they definitely change from year to year based on food source. And they also change just based on the individual deer themselves. Yes. You know, certain deer like to do certain things and be in certain areas. And there's no question that spending that time uh, can pay off for you for sure. I mean, I've seen it firsthand with the people that I hunt with that put in that extra time and then reap those rewards later. There's no doubt about it. This year was just a weird kind of year because our, our weather was really kind of shitty for a long time. Um, we, it was super cold. We had a lot of snow on the ground. It made getting out really hard. And then once everything, once winter kind of let up on us, um, I had like two weekends where I'd literally just, I had to pay some penance to my wife. So I had to redo all the floors in our house. So I spent two weekends redoing all the flooring and trim in my house, in my downstairs and uh yeah, those were like two weekends in i think in march that i could and should have been out scouting and then the following weekend once i was done with that i went out for a day i scouted my lease and then i met up with a couple of my friends and we went and scouted some some public um so i mean i did get a, a legit you know one full day in yeah. um, which was certainly better than nothing but really really not much since then so for me going into this fall it's going to be a lot of uh, trail camera data and then just in season scouting, you know, which is something I've always liked doing. Sometimes I feel like that spring scouting can be misleading at times, especially depending on what the, the wintertime food sources look like. Yeah. Um, cause you can get areas that are, you know, look like a ghost town when you get out there that may have been super active in October, November, and then vice versa. You can get areas that you're like, this is it, man. This is the spot. Look at all this sign. You know, and then come next fall, you're like, where the hell are all these deer at? Well, it turns out they were just there in the wintertime because that's where all the food was at. So um, it could definitely be valuable, but, you know, I don't think you absolutely need to do it, especially in my case. Like, I've been on these places for a while, kind of know what I'm doing. At least I think I do anyways. So 
I guess we'll see. Yeah. I feel you, man. I, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I feel that for me, I, I do the same thing. I, I always had, I used to have this goal that said, Hey dude, stay out of this farm in September, like do everything you need to do trail cameras, whatever. And now I just, I don't know. I, I'm doing something different. I'm, I'm not like my trail cameras pretty much sit out for a month and a half, maybe even more at a time before I check them. Right. So I, I'm, I went from checking my trail cameras to once every two weeks in the summer to once every like five or six weeks even. I mean, they were, uh, I maybe check them two times an entire summer now. Like they're not even out yet. I'll put them up closer to the end, like uh, mid to late June. And then I'll check them once at the end of July, maybe early August. I'll check them another time, probably, you know, just to get some velvet picks, you know. And then the next time I'll check them is probably in September, early September, trying to see what deer stuck around after the velvets come off. So sure. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if I've ever talked. I'm, to... Dude, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I had a camera last year, a couple of them that I put out, I think in August that I didn't check till springtime. Yeah. You know, I had plans of getting out to them, but then, you know, just never kind of happened in life and hunting and things. And then I shot deer and I was like, well, there's no point in going to get them now. I'm just going to let them you know, sit there till spring. And in a lot of cases, I feel like, cause I've fallen victim to the uh, mistake of chasing deer based on my trail camera data. Yeah. And I'm always a step behind them. So sometimes I feel like just putting a couple cameras out and leaving them for a year and then going back and kind of doing that post-mortem analysis of what happened and trying to cross-reference weather patterns and pressure and dates and seasons with what you saw for deer movement on those cameras, I think can help you predict future movement for next year, yeah. which is way more valuable than uh, chasing after the deer that was on a trail camera here yesterday, but today's a freaking mile away. Yeah. Like I need to be there before he gets there, not after he was there. So sometimes it's kind of like, it's, it's nice. I, I personally think in a lot of cases, trail camera data is more valuable afterwards than it is yeah. during the actual heat of the season unless you know the, there's a couple notable exceptions mostly early season and late season when the deer are on a bit more of a food to bed pattern Agreed. right if you can get a deer that you know is coming into a spot whether it's an acorns or a food plot or whatever you know a standing crop field whatever it may be and you could get them in there and you know that they're close because they're not moving as far that time of year then trail cameras can be really useful but i think from like late October through like Thanksgiving, man, I, I need to be a step ahead of them, not a step behind them. Right. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy, uh, how sometimes trail camera data can trick you, right? It, it can make you do things that you don't need to be doing, uh, or it can, I don't know, like, or you can just go, well, well, he, he did this. He, he won't do it again until next year. And then sure enough, he comes through that same pinch point or that fence crossing or wherever it's set up like multiple times over the next, like, let's just say five day period. So it's, it's definitely hit. Like sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you don't when it comes to that data that, that you're getting from that. But I'll tell you this, just knowing whether you use it immediately 
or knowing I'll t- I'll tell you that. I'll let me back up. I had this thought. Someone asked me, dude, how would you hunt if you didn't use trail cameras? Because I, I rely heavily on trail camera information, right? Uh, and I'm just curious, like, how how heavy do you rely on that information that you get out of like if if I if I told you, Czar, you can't use uh, any more trail cameras the rest of this year, would your strategy change at all? No. 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 Yeah. No. I mean, I was thinking about this not that long ago. I think the last four bucks that I've killed, I don't believe trail camera data helped me kill them at all. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe one of them I had, uh, I'll take that back. Recent trail camera data did not help me kill any of those deer for sure. Historical trail camera data, maybe exactly the scenario I'm talking about. I used to have a spot where I always felt like, man, this should be a good spot for a stand. The deer got to be coming through here. It's kind of this little pinch point in the woods. I'd put a camera there. I think two years in a row, I put a camera there and I just let it sit for two, three months. And sure enough, a lot of daylight pictures of bucks coming through this spot. So I was like, all right, you know, that just confirmed what I already suspected. So I put a stand there and the following year ended up killing the deer. I didn't kill that deer because I had pictures of him and I knew he was in the area and I went in there. I literally was like, okay, it's the rut. The deer moved through this spot. I know it because a, I just, we just know things as hunters. I think as experienced hunters, we learn things and, 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 I just use trail cameras in a lot of cases to confirm what my suspicion is and what my belief is. Once I've confirmed it, then I go in and, and I hunt that spot. So I'll say the trail camera data helped me, but I probably would have put a stand there anyways because I already had an intuition that this was going to be a good area. Yeah. But what's helped me kill more deer, honestly, than anything else is just in-season sightings and scouting. You know, And it doesn't always happen right away. Sometimes it takes two or three years because I'm not the kind of guy where and I'll give you another example, the stand that I just talked about, I killed a deer out of it. Right. I hunted that stand for two years and I kept seeing deer to my North a couple hundred yards kind of doing this same general thing. And finally I was like, I need to go over there and put a stand there. And sure enough, I went over there and I ended up killing a deer there. I'm not the kind of guy that if I see a deer do something one time that I'm going to go chase them after them and be like, I need to get over there. Right. Because one time of anything can be a fluke, but when it's two, three, four times, and I'm not talking a specific deer, I'm just talking deer in general, two, three, four times I'm sitting in a stand and I notice any deer kind of doing the same general pattern. I start to think, okay, there's something to this. Now maybe I need to make a move. Cause I think people can make the mistake just like with trail cameras of chasing behind these deer, right? Oh, I saw a buck over there on that side of the field. I'm going to move my stand and then you move over there and oh shit, now he's on the other side of the field and you move and yeah. you're just kind of chasing after him versus being in front of him. Yeah. But I think that's probably been the, the biggest secret, not even really secret, but the biggest recipe to what I've done the last few years is using historical data, whether it be sightings or trail camera data to make decisions knowing that, okay, yeah. it's this time of year, it's going to start happening. I need to be in this spot. And, and maybe I'm a day or two too early, you know, but I'd rather be too early, keep going back than be too late and, yeah. and you've missed it. Yeah. Um, so this year I'm kind of excited because I call it, you know, just between me, 
I call it big buck year. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with crop rotation. So, so when this is, uh, it's just going to be called a bean year, uh, on some of the farm, like on the top part of the farm that I hunt, the river bottom is going to be in corn. The top part is going to be in beans. And during the summer, I get a ton of deer picture, like velvet pictures, you know, the July, August time frame, especially when the beans are budding out and, uh, they, you know, the deer really are starting to hit them heavy. Those years typically translate into more deer on my farm, uh, given the, I don't know, I don't know, just there's something about this, this type of crop rotation this year that has the deer coming and staying. Now, when it's a corn year and it's flipped, the, the, the bottom is beans and they stay down there, but then once they're picked, they kind of split and they, they stay on the outskirts of the farm and don't run through it. They run through it, but not as much as they would if it was a corn year. So my question to you is, do you notice any, any like, like deer movement trends because of crop rotation in your area? Sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's no doubt about it. I think to your point, like on corn years, and then this is, I think this is one of those old adages that guys have been saying forever, you know, when the corn's up, you know, the deer aren't in the woods, we can't kill them. Yeah. You know, we want that corn to come down. But I mean, there, that, that is true. I mean, when there's hundreds and hundreds of acres of standing corn, it's tons of cover and bedding for those deer. Um, and and it, it it's less areas that we can actually go into and, and kill them. Um, so yeah, I mean, on, you know, quote unquote bean or alfalfa, years you know the deer do tend to stick to and travel in the the timber a little bit more um than on those corn years where they're cutting through those standing corn fields you know and especially like you know illinois where we're at you know it's a pretty high population of people around so i mean these these deer are always looking to hide from people any way they can and they just don't like being out in the in those open crop fields yeah uh, you know maybe during the middle of the summer they do but you know come fall you're pretty hard pressed to, to catch them out in the open, you know, too often. So, yeah, I mean, the deer movements and patterns and the way that I hunt is absolutely dictated by, um, you know, number one, the crop rotation, number two, the acorns, you know, we have a ton of white oaks where I hunt, but from year to year, the same trees don't always produce every year. Right. I mean, right. Sometimes we get you know, two years in between, you know, a good bumper crop on some, on a certain part of the farm. So, you know, some of that, again, in-season scouting or even in my case, like around here, I don't know if it's like this everywhere, but around here, we get a lot of acorns that start dropping like in late August, you know, and unfortunately our season doesn't come in until October. So, man, if we could hunt in September, I'd tell you what, I'd kill deer on acorns like crazy because when those suckers start dropping, those deer are on them like right now. But yeah. a lot of times by October when we when we start hunting, um, they're not on them quite as heavy, uh, I think, but yeah, I mean, white acorns and just knowing which trees have acorns and which ones don't also, you know, plays a big, a big role in, I'm going to hunt primarily early season and then, you know, come about the 20th, the 25th of October, you know, I really just start concentrating on where are the does and where are the pinpoints. I really don't hunt food very much from, you know, that point in october through through thanksgiving you know I'm, not yeah. that i'm not yeah. on food because i will be on it because the does are on it but it's not my main 
it's not my main thing that I like to hunt. I like to be in the timber and I like to be in pinch points, travel corridors, doe bedding areas. I'm not, I don't kill a lot of deer on, on food sources. Yeah. I'm trying to think, um, is there food sources? I, let's see this year he was next to a food source. He wasn't like, he wasn't in a food source. He's in a real thicket when I shot him the year before that was a bedding area the year before that, which would have been, what was that? 2017, no, 18 would have been a 18 was a terrain feature leading up to, he was, he was scent checking it in like a staging area slash, uh, I'd say it's a staging area right before you come into a, uh, uh, a food source. 2017 was coming like dope. He was following does coming out of a bedding area. 2016 was in a little transition area between next to a food source, but like I watched him stand out of a, his bed. So I don't hunt like it's, I don't I hunt food sources that much. <laughs> We could tell you what our deer was doing in 2016 when we shot it. But in 2016, if my wife was like, what was the theme of our kid's birthday party? Yeah. Like, <laughs> nope. We Spider-Man. Kids, which kid? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Cup, so hilarious. But cupcakes. yeah, dude, I'm the same way. I mean, mine all sound yeah. very similar. Terrain features, bedding areas, you know, travel corridors, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, but maybe we're idiots because it seems like all the guys that kill the giant deer just sit on a food plot in a box plot and shoot big deer. So Dude, maybe that's what we should be doing. Don't even get me started on that shit. <laughs> don't because I'll flip out, man. Well, when you're a private landowner, you can do that man, yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. You're working towards that. My 15 acres hasn't would if I let's just say hypothetically I bought this this ground. I couldn't put a food plot on it because it's all it's all Jeez, angles. Man. There's no there's no like flat. There's nothing flat, mm. you know what I mean? So I, I feel like I would clear an area out, plant some clover, a heavy rain would come, and then it would just all, the seed would just wash right down into the timber. Got it. But I could probably fit a box blind in there. There you go. I don't know. Sometimes box blinds are nice, I'm not going to lie. Every once in a while, they're I've pretty n- nice. I've never hunted. Just to get in there and just kind of chill out. I've never hunted in a box. Well, let me take that back. I did hunt in a box blind when I was down in Texas hunting exotics. So that's the only time I've ever hunted. Uh, that's like out of the a perfect box blind. time. Yeah, the perfect to hunt time. out of a box blind, Dan. Yeah. So anyway, there's that. What's you're the? Just, uh, you're just not exposed to the elements, so you feel like closed off, like there's a barrier between you and the outdoors that makes it feel strange, right? <laughs> I'm not going to say. It's my preferred way to hunt by any means. But every once in a blue moon, when it's like freezing ass cold or raining and sleeting and snowing, like being able to crawl on the box blind, turn on a little heater, yeah, kind of nice. Let me tell you this. I don't, every once in a while. I don't like hunting in blinds for one reason, and that is I, like when you're in a tree stand, you, can, you got a 360 view. All you got to do is turn around. You know, you can see where everything's coming. For me, yep. I... I almost get anxiety when I hunt out of a blind. Like, what is behind me? I can't see anything. What's going on? And then, uh, and I'm sure you've had this happen before where maybe you're fiddling on your phone or you're just kind of spaced out looking out the window and then boom, there's deer and they're close, right? And now you have this uh, additional 
pressure of trying to grab everything real slow without making noise at ground level, draw back, do all this stuff while the deer are, you know, 20 yards on the same level as you. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we had that problem last year hunting out of a blind with, with my son. Like we just, we had deer and it was, it was, uh, it was like a little rainy that night. So everything was quiet. And dude, we had a buck, a little buck come in. We were hunting like a food plot, but we couldn't see off to the one side. Yeah. And you know, we're just sitting there dude, to do it. All of a sudden I looked to my left and the damn thing is like literally 15 feet yeah. away. You know, we never heard him come in and just trying to get everything ready. He busted us and, and took off. So I agree. I get kind of an anxiety as well when I'm in a ground blind, when I can't see anything, you know, which, yeah. which definitely sucks. So I, I feel you. I, I certainly prefer to be in a tree stand, but uh, as you'll find out here at some point when you start taking your kids to tree stands and kids, they don't get along very well. Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. That's a fact, man. All right. So I'm going to throw, a, uh, I'm going to throw a couple questions at you real quick. Let's see here. Um, you have a five day window to hunt whitetails. That's it. Five days. You get, you get to use one week of PTO, uh, in combination with one week of your wife letting you go hunt, right? That's all you get It's five days yep. in Illinois or wherever you want to hunt to be a bow hunter. What dates are you going out? If I'm going on the properties that I hunt already and I, that I know in trail cameras and scouting and everything, I'm going to go the last five days of October. Okay. If I'm just going in blind, I say I'm going to get in my truck and I'm going to drive to Kansas or somewhere and hunt. Actually, Kansas is different. I'd go later. If I was going somewhere, Illinois, Wisconsin, uh iowa something like that i'd probably go like november 7th through the 12th something along those lines yeah i think yeah is what i would do you know and the reason for that is you know on my home on my home turf where i feel like i know things a little bit better i feel like that's a really good opportunity to get get on on a buck um that's my favorite time to hunt I, i think i've shot actually the majority of my deer in late october yeah um I don't really seem to have a lot of good luck, like the first week of November for some reason. I think I did shoot my second buck this year, like November 7th or 8th, something like that. But like like first through the 6th, 7th, usually like I just, eh, I just never really have a ton of good luck. And then it seems to get a little bit better. I also really, really like um, uh, that kind of week leading into Thanksgiving is usually really good for me as well. You know, I really like that. I think a lot of people overlook that one. It's a bit of a, a, like a sleeper. Yeah. You know, that kind of like the, I don't know, 18th through the 23rd, something like that, I think is a really good time still. And the nice thing, and maybe I would change my mind on my answer, because if I was going out of state somewhere to like some public or something like that, I think a lot of guys kind of blow their load in that first two weeks of November. Yeah. That's when everybody goes hunting. And I think a lot of dudes leave, you know, and then if you can give it a couple of days to kind of rest. So maybe like, the, again, that 18th through the 23rd has always just been a really good time. I've killed a killed a good amount of deer in, in that window as well. Yeah. Um, but my absolute favorite, favorite time to hunt is the last like five days of October. Absolutely love it. Yeah. All right. I, I'm for the most part, I agree with you. I, uh, based off trail camera information on my farm, uh, you know, all the four year olds are running around on the, I'm going to say the fifth through the 10th, but, 
the giants that don't aren't around all year show up uh at some point from that like 15th to 20th time frame right before maybe even sure. extend that into the 22nd and dude i'm telling you uh, you you see a lot less deer most of the does are probably bred by then on, on the farm that i hunt but the that there's some cruisers that come through now you won't get a lot of trail camera pictures of them like bouncing around like the local bucks but they'll come through the pinch point at some point they'll come through this you know this some specific uh spots on the farm just like cruising for the last doe and man sometimes that could be the best you know just it's more hoping and wishing than it is for trying to pattern a deer but i don't know i i can see myself over time skipping out on the first five days of uh november to hunt the i don't know the week two and three in november sure so yeah i agree like i said i mean just historically i haven't had a ton of good luck then i mean i know uh, obviously people kill deer anytime in october yeah. but for or, i mean november but i mean for me it's just never been the best time for me yeah. i've always felt like and I have no basis to really back this up. Just like a lot of things in hunting, I think are just our own personal theories that we think. But I always felt like, especially with those bigger dominant bucks, like they're the dominant deer for a reason. They hang out in their core area. They don't have to leave home. Yeah. They could breed all the does in their area. They've kicked out the sub subordinate bucks. They're busy kind of defending their turf. And I think once they've done that for a few weeks, you know, and they've successfully bred, you know, all the, the hot estrus does in their area, they, that's when they branch out and start looking for those other does, which is typically why you see them yeah. a little bit later in November. At least that's what makes sense in my mind. And that's kind of what I've seen uh, hunting a couple bigger, older deer that I found have, have stuck around. Sometimes though, I will say seems like sometimes the older bucks range a little bit earlier in October, because I think those first estrus does usually come in like the 25th, the 28th of October. Yeah. There's usually a doe popping an estrus somewhere. And I think those big bucks, they, they will travel a little bit during that time to find that first one. And then I'll see them kind of return home for a couple of weeks before they venture out again. Yeah. Um, it's something that I've, I've seen in the past. Yeah. Uh, just kind of my firsthand kind of experience, you know, luckily for me, one of the farms I hunts pretty damn big and i've i've got the opportunity to have you know some of my trail cameras are literally a mile apart from one another you know as the crow flies yeah so i can i can see the patterns of different deer around the farm when they move where they move where they're at sometimes it seems like they move they spend a couple days in a spot and then they kind of move again and then a couple days and then they move and spend a couple days it's kind of a interesting thing um but yeah, that's always kind of been my theory on why some of those bigger bucks are moving later in November. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm still trying to figure out, just figure it all out. Just like everybody else is, you know, we all are. <laughs> and I mean, the reality is like half of it is bullshit. Half of it is just us pleasing ourselves right. because it makes sense in our own mind. Like, like I love this idea that, and you said it earlier and I've said it in the past, right? This deer was going over wherever it was going to scent check something. Yeah. Like we have no idea what the goddamn deer was doing. Right. If it was going to scent check something or not. Like I will definitively tell you the deer that I killed this year in November, November 7th was a five-year-old deer. We have sheds, we have trail camera pictures, hundred percent, a five-year-old deer. He covered a mile of ground 
before I killed him from where he hit my cellular trail camera to when I killed him was almost a mile. And he was walking with the wind at his back the entire time. He wasn't sent checking shit. Yeah. He was mindlessly walking around looking for does with his eyeballs yeah. in his ears. He wasn't sent checking anything unless it was behind him. You know, so there's this common thing. I, again, I think we tell ourselves these things because to us they make sense. It helps us rationalize and it helps us try to uh, think that we are planning and outsmarting these deer um, because we think that we can figure out yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but I just, the reality is, I don't know that anybody knows yeah. what the hell they're doing. I think we tend to know general tendencies. But like the idea of, you know, oh, I have to be on the downwind side of a bedding area during the rut in order to kill a buck. Like, yes, because you don't want to be in the upwind side and blow all the does and the deer out of it that are in it. So it makes sense to hunt the downwind side of it. But I don't necessarily know that like when a buck is walking somewhere during the rut, he's thinking in his mind, I need to be on the downwind side of wherever I think these right. deer. He just charges in there and starts walking around looking for the damn thing. Yeah. If he happens to catch the center one, you know, off he goes. But I just think we give them too much credit sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. That's all. That's kind of where I'm going with this is I think we give them too much credit in trying to rationalize and put some sort of reasoning or some sort of formula together that we think will allow us to outsmart them. Yeah. And then there's the times where we we don't give them enough credit. And then you feel like a dipshit for like, Oh my God, I should have known that <laughs> they can embarrass you. And uh, then those are the stories you don't tell any of your friends. <laughs> the ones I don't tell are usually when the arrows fly and they don't hit their mark. Right. <laughs> those are the stories that nobody knows about. Well, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to end. We're going to end this with my Turkey season debacle story. All right, let's hear it. This have you, Okay, so let me ask you this question. Have you ever gone on a hunt and released every arrow in your quiver during the course of said hunt? Yes, I have. And, and, all right. Up until, up until uh, a month ago, I had never done that before. And so, and so, so I was hunting one of Todd's uh, leases. And so Todd Graff had land, a landowner tag for turkey season. So he couldn't hunt his lease. And my, my spots just didn't have a lot of turkeys on them. And he's like, dude, there's turkeys over here. I've been getting pictures of them, but they're in the woods. I had hunted this, this spot during youth season with my son. And we hunted out in the fields and, and, and heard birds, but never saw anything. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, they're in the woods. I'm getting pictures of them. There, there's birds in there, right? So I go in there the night before my season, set up a blind in the dark, decoys I, I, no, it was todd's blind todd's chair set everything up in the dark came back the next morning it starts getting light birds gobbling all over i do like a test drawback with my bow and i'm like shit like i'm a little bit too low my decoys are a little bit too close to the blind this is gonna be trouble and i knew it was gonna be trouble but i was like i think i think i can do it i think if i sit up nice and tall and the birds over there like in my mind i can do this right sure she had two birds come in beating up the decoys. I'd come to full draw. I try to shoot the bigger of the two and I'm like, damn it, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the blind, the bottom of the window. So I'm like, I'll shoot this other bird. He's a little bit farther out, whatever. I turn over, 
I shoot and sure as shit, I go right through the window of the blind. And I thought I missed the, I thought I missed the bird, Thought I went right under him. He scampers off, you know, a couple yards and he's just standing there. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. The other bird comes back in. He's all at full strut. I'm getting another arrow. I'm like, shit, I'm going to shoot this one. And I peek out the window. I'm like, eh, something's not right here. This bird looks like he's, he's wounded, but I couldn't get a shot at him. Eventually the other one comes over, tries to kick his ass. This bird starts hobbling through the woods and I can tell his leg is messed up. He takes off flying and I can see his leg just hanging down, you know, and I'm like, shit, I must've hit him in the leg. Right. So he flies down this hill and he lands up in a tree. So I'm sitting in the blind thinking like, well, what the hell am I going to do now? I got this Turkey. He's only got one leg. He flew into a tree. I don't even know where he went. I just kind of saw him go into the woods. So I wait a while and all of a sudden I hear something flapping down there and I'm like, oh shit, maybe he died. Right. So I get all my stuff. I go down there. Can't find this bird anywhere. There's blood all over the ground. And I'm like, cause I found where he had gone up into a tree and he's bleeding all over the ground. I'm like, well, damn, there's a lot of blood here. Turkeys aren't very big. Right. Long story short, I look around the woods for two freaking hours before I find this damn Turkey. And at this point I had pretty much given up that I was going to find him. And I'm just kind of lazily walking through the woods, looking for shit antlers and morels. <laughs> That's what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll find this Turkey. All of a sudden I stop and I look over to my left and there he is. Dude. He's like 10 feet from me. Yeah. I thought he was dead. I'm like, I'm like, sweet. I got him. And all of a sudden I look and he blinks at me. <laughs> I'm like, shit, he's still alive. So before I can even grab an arrow, he takes off flying dude. And he goes like, 300 yards down this hill, across this field into the neighbor's place. I'm like, son of a bitch. So we call the neighbor. He says, yeah, you can go down there. So I get down there and I'm stalking around trying to find this thing. Cause I kind of marked where he went. He flew in this little, um, this little fence row between two fields. So I'm down there and I'm walking and I got an arrow knocked and all of a sudden I hear something kind of flapping and I look down and the damn thing's in this Creek bottom. He's in the water and he's trying to like get up the Creek bank, but he can't cause he's only got one freaking leg. So finally he gets up the creek bank, dude. He's like 20 yards away, perfectly broadside, wide open. I shoot him again. I thought I pinwheeled him. I'm like, sweet, I got him. He's dead. And he's just sitting there looking at me. And I'm like, what in the hell? Is this thing going to die or what? So now I'm down. I think I got three arrows. Do I got three arrows left? I don't know. I only shot twice at this point. So I got three arrows left. And, uh, He's just sitting there and he's not dead. Well, it turns out that I hit like the wing bone, like I hit his front wing bone and it just didn't get any real penetration. I didn't know that what had happened. If I knew this, I would have just walked up to him and killed the damn thing. Cause at this point he can't fly away. He's got a broken wing and a broken leg, but I didn't know this. And all I can see is his head at this point. So then I try to head shoot him and I miss I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> so now I'm down to two air. Now I'm down to two arrows. I shoot again. I hit him through the damn breast. I'm like, well, that's not going to kill him. You know, if you've ever shot a turkey through the breast with an arrow. So now this poor turkey's sitting there with all these arrows sticking out of him. Then I finally walked up to him and shot him at point blank range and finally killed him. But it was probably the most, it was one of the more rewarding hunts when it was all said and done. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, I finally got this thing. Like after all of that. But like, I've always heard stories of guys that are like, yeah, man, I emptied my quiver. And I'm like, how is that a possibility? How does somebody do this? Right. Here I am, Dan. Yep. Here I am. I live to tell the tale. Five arrows yep. to kill one turkey. Yep. Well, hey, at least you got him. Because when I emptied my... At least I... Go ahead. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad I didn't give up. Yeah. I almost gave up and just went home when I couldn't find him. And I was like, I literally have nothing else to do today. I am walking around. <laughs> it's like, find this goddamn turkey. I literally had nothing to do. And you can only hunt tur- turkeys till one in the afternoon. And I was planning on staying the night anyways to hunt the next day. I'm like, I don't give a shit how long it takes me. I am going to find this turkey. That's a win. At least you walked out of the timber with something. Because uh, when I yeah. emptied my quiver at a lone mule deer fawn in December, uh, or like a yearling, <laughs> and just it, it, those arrows were going all over the place. And I think it's hard to, I've never been angry shooting at something before until this moment where I just was like, put another one in. All right, stand still. And then I range, I'm like 63. Okay, that's the longest shot I've ever taken, but here it goes. Sticks right at, right in the dirt underneath of her feet. And I'm just like, damn it. And the, 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 she's looking at me, then looking down at the arrow, then looking at me, then looking down at the arrow. So I knock another one, draw back, same distance, way over her back. And, and now it's just blackout rage, you know, and whatever they uh, <laughs> so i had to go collect some arrows uh, that's have you ever seen the video of tim wells wife missing that button buck out of a tree stand like five times yeah i've seen that it's pretty funny i think it's hilarious i love tim wells videos that shit's great and i love that video i remember the first i saw it at like a, a deer classic like many many years ago and tim used to do the rounds yep. at all the uh, all the deer classics he had it playing i remember i bought tim's book many years ago relentless pursuit and uh i bought it from him with a couple dvds because i just loved watching his show you know back in the day and uh he took his book and he signed it aim for the head <laughs> and i just thought i just <laughs> I just thought that was great. I still have it today. It's sitting sitting on my bookshelf at home. So. Is that like a... We will close the show on that note, Dan. Aim for the head. Aim for the head. <laughs> uh, the thoughts of Justin Czar are not the thoughts of the Sportsman's Nation and all of the... <laughs> <laughs> no, those weren't my thoughts. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. He wrote it, not me. I'm just... I've never done that. I'm just saying that's what my book says. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Justin for taking time out of his day. Huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, and of course, Vortex. Uh, Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because they're all great companies, great people work for them. And other than that, we're going to keep it the outro short as well. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.